Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So how do you know what's really important to someone? You know, you look at their life and you want to say, well, what's important to this person? How would you figure that out? Well, if you hang around the person for a while, you probably start to get some clues because what will be coming out of their mouths off and on? They'll be talking about something that really matters to them, something that's important to them. Uh, You might look and say, well, how much time is this person spending on this? And you discover, wow, they're spending a lot of time on this particular thing. It must be important to them. A lot of energy they're investing in it. Maybe money, right? You look and say, wow, look, they put a lot of money into this thing. And whether it's a hobby or a cause or whatever. But you, you figure out what's important to somebody by really about how much of their life is about that. Okay? And they say, well, that's what's really important to this person. Well, when we want to look at the Bible, the scriptures, and say, so, so what is important in here? Well, in one sense, we're going to say how much of it's important. All of it, right? Okay, that's our good doctrinal answer. Very, very true. Uh, but when we're trying to figure out what, you know, what's in here and what is it that we really need to focus in on and pay attention to, the same kind of idea applies. And, and so... When we're thinking about Jesus, the life of Jesus, and what he came to do, what he came to accomplish, and we want to figure out, so what what is that the most important thing here that we need to make sure that we we capture, we get some hints, or a hint, from how the Gospels handle his life. And so we are, uh, this is Palm Sunday, and so in history, this is the week when all the events You know, major events took place. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. We're going to read about that today. And the great celebration and his teaching and his teaching that really just finally delivered the final push the religious leaders over the edge where they say, we got to get rid of this guy. And and some of his most well-known teachings, we have the the Last Supper, which becomes the Lord's Supper. We have uh, Peter's denial of Christ. We have the overnight trials of Jesus, his death on the cross. And then, of course, next Sunday we celebrate his resurrection. So all of this stuff happens in this week. Well, when we look at the scripture in the Gospels, less than one percent of the time of Jesus ministry gets 34 percent of the coverage. Now, when we look at Jesus, uh, three years of ministry, roughly three years, maybe a little more, but roughly three years of ministry This one week is six-tenths of one percent of that time. And yet it gets more than a third of the coverage. So the events of this week really, really matter, don't they? They are extremely, extremely important. And, And it's really the things that happen this week are at the core of the gospel. The Apostle Paul talks about it like this when he talks about the gospel. He says, the gospel... That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas, who was Peter, and then by the 12. And when did that happen? This week. So the core truths of the gospel all went down in this week. 
Okay, very, very important. So we could say, wow, this must really matter, right? Because the scripture has given so much coverage to it. All right, and that, that is true. And by the way, this, this week sets the stage for the weeks that followed, because Paul continues and he says, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, and, and for space sake I took out, he says, most of them are still alive today if you want to ask them, okay? So evidence-based. And then he says, after that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time, okay? Um, so the events of this week are crucial to what it means to be a Christian. If, if we don't have the events of this week, we don't have Christianity, okay? And uh, certainly with the culmination especially. So uh, this final week is really about the core truths of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins because we needed a savior. And he died and paid that penalty for us, rose again, and by faith we can receive Christ as Savior. And uh, we'll be talking about that actually a lot in, in our, our Bible study hour today in Differences That Matter. But so let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 19. This is the beginning of the events of this week. This is uh, the story of Palm Sunday and some things that immediately follow it. Chapter 19, verse 28. We're going to be on page 1210 in the Bible that's in the chairs. And again, we always encourage you to follow along in a Bible. Verse 28. When he had said this, that means he had been teaching about uh, eventually the Lord's return and people's faithfulness to him. In the meantime, it says, when he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. He was coming from down toward, uh, from the uh, uh, Dead Sea area, coming up past Jericho and heading up to Jerusalem. And so as he gets close, it says it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet. We typically call that Mount of Olives. That he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. And by the way, if we, if we look in Matthew's gospel, he makes clear this is a cult. It's a, uh, uh, it's a male. Um, it's, it's, I, I said the male son of a donkey. That didn't come out. That's not it. <laughs> this is a donkey, okay? It's a male donkey. That's the point, okay? Because Matthew tells it. When it says colt, I don't want you to think horse. Okay, that's the main thing I was trying to get to. Okay. Let's try this again. Verse 30, saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it, just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt, their, their cloaks, their outer garments. And they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice 
and praised God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And this is where some of the other gospels record them saying, Hosanna, right? And that's what we just sang. So blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They are declaring here that Jesus is the king of the Jews. He is the promised Messiah. This is what they are proclaiming. Now, the religious leaders have a big problem with this, okay? And so how do they respond? Verse 39, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They shouldn't be saying that. Verse 39, verse 40, but he answered, Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. What an amazing statement, huh? Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. And so, you know, if you, if you go to, to Jerusalem and you, you drive up the Mount of Olives or you come in, especially if you're coming in from the other side of Jericho, you come up over the hill, Mount of Olives, and you look, and down here some 300 feet lower, you can see the entire city of Jerusalem. And so this is what Jesus is seeing. He's topped the hill, he's coming down the other side, and he's seeing Jerusalem. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And just, just a comment now, because we're not going to look at it this year. Uh, he says, especially in this your day. This day had been predicted by Daniel uh, some 500, over 500 years earlier. And when you actually do the calendar and the things that Daniel predicted and said, it comes down to this exact day that he rode into Jerusalem, okay? And so when he says, if you had known on this your day, he's referring to this had been prophesied and here we are and you don't even see it. Verse 43, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation, the time that you know, I was coming and who I am. And this happened in 70 AD, okay? So Jesus foretold that. All right, so he's coming to Jerusalem now, verse 45. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. This is the second time that he's done this. He did this early in his ministry, and now he's returning to, to Jerusalem. He's come in again as offering himself as the Messiah, and this is his house then, the temple. And they had turned it into a marketplace to make money. Okay, the selling of offerings and sacrifice, all this kind of stuff, which might have had a legitimate purpose to start with, but it had become about the prophet and not about God. And so he drives them out. And we don't have a lot of detail here, uh, but in one of the other gospels, he talks about him driving them out with a, a, a little whip that he made. He was serious, wasn't he? Okay. What's gentle Jesus, meek and mild? And he is. But when he's God judging sin, he's serious. All right, so he did that, verse 47. And he was teaching daily in the temple. 
But the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything for all the people were very attentive to hear him. There's no way they could go in and take him at this point with everybody because it would create a riot and who knows what all. Father, we come to you and ask you to help us to understand your word and the significance of it as well as some very practical things, Lord, that will help us as we live our lives for you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is Palm Sunday when Jesus presents himself as the Messiah, the one who had been promised to come, uh, who the Messiah would be the king. Uh, and so I think the people were excited about this because they'd been under the Roman rule, you know, hard, and uh, they're thinking he's going to deliver him from them. And, but they, so they were excited about this. They're proclaiming that he is the king. Uh, but there's something else going on on this day as well. The Passover is going to happen this week, the Jewish Passover. And the Jewish Passover traces its heritage back to some 1400 years before this, what we're reading about today, when Israel was still in Egypt and God was in the process of delivering them. And the 10 plagues, you remember hearing about that? Well, the last plague was going to be the death of the firstborn. But God protected his people from that judgment. And what he said to them, Here, I'm going to set this up, the Passover for you. It's going to call it this call. He called it the Passover. And what they were to do is the night before this was supposed to occur, the death of the firstborn, they were to take a lamb. And actually, let's back up. They were to take the lamb four days before. They were to choose a lamb that had nothing wrong with it. It was to be a perfect lamb. And they set aside for three days. And then on Passover, they were to take the lamb and at the base of their door to their house, they were to kill the lamb. Okay. And then take, you know, by cutting it and then take the blood from that with some kind of a plant and, and wipe it on the two door slots and on the top. And I want you to think this. So where is the blood on this door? It's. It's just like Jesus, because they put a crown of thorn on him, and he bled, and they, they put nails in his hands, and he bled, and in his feet. And so in the doorway, this is a picture of Jesus who would come, okay? And not to mention, what does Jesus later on say? He's talking about a sheepfold, but he still says, I am the door, okay? I am the way. All right, so this is symbolic of that, but God gave this to them, and he said, when you do this, this is to be an ongoing practice of yours. I want you to do this every year from now on, every generation, not because you've got to worry about the firstborn dying, but to remember this and to have this symbol. Well, in fact, let's just look at a scripture. He says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you. In some sense, though, we find that Christ becomes this Passover for us. Go ahead. So this day, this is what God said, shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. So this is the future practice. And so the Jews are still practicing at the time of our passage of scripture today. But here's, here's what I want you to see. Four days before the Passover, they were to do what? Choose a lamb. Well, if we go back to a story in the book of Genesis about uh, Abraham, God telling Abraham that he wants him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, and, and Abraham is going to do it. And while they're headed to the sacrifice, Isaac says, uh, 
Dad, we got the wood and we got the fire, but where's the lamb? He doesn't know it's going to be him. At least that's what it seemed like. And Abraham says these words. He says that God will provide himself with a lamb. Okay? Now, think about this. On Palm Sunday, four days before the Passover, God chose his lamb. You see that? You get how this works, right? In other words, his son is going to be the one who is now going to die. But God chose on. He, he rides into to Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day. And he is the chosen one that God is going to use to provide forgiveness for the sins of everyone in the world if they will believe. Okay? And so we see John talking like this. John the Baptist. He says, behold the Lamb of God, talking about Jesus, who takes away the sins of the world. And Paul says, for indeed Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. So big things are happening, aren't they? This is a bigger deal even than we realize. He wasn't just presenting himself as Messiah, which they would later reject, but he was also coming in as the Lamb of God who would die to take away the sins of the world. So big, big, important stuff happening. And so that's, this is the, the gospel, isn't it? The gospel that Every one of us has sinned against a holy God. And if you're wondering if that's really true, ask your spouse or your parents, and they will affirm this for you, that you indeed are a sinner, okay? You haven't always lived the way you ought. We know that, that, that puts us at odds with the holy God. And if we die in that condition, we can't go to be with God, we go to hell. But Jesus, God's son, as God loved us so much that he sent Jesus into the world, his son. He is God in human form. And he dies on the cross. And as he dies on the cross, God the Father somehow or other puts the penalty for my sins on him. The penalty for your sins on him. And he dies paying that penalty. Rises again from the dead. And then he offers to us. He says, if you believe... If, you, if you'll accept this truth, the right, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus, who the Bible says is, and he did what the Bible said he would do for you, that by faith you can say, okay, God, I get that, and that's me for me. I need that. I, I believe that. I, I put my faith in Jesus to be my Savior. I receive Jesus as my Savior. And the moment we do that, the Bible says every sin is forgiven. Every sin. And we're going to do the Lord's Supper, and we're going to remind ourselves of that today. And uh, we receive eternal life. Okay, starts now. When this life ends, we go on living with the Lord. And then God himself moves in and begins making changes and is helping us to change as we cooperate with him. All right? And so this is, can I make a death statement? This matters. Okay? It really, really matters. Now, what I want to do is just take you through the passage again, just for a few things, and just uh, pull out some things that are very practical truths that I think would be of great help to us as we seek to serve the Lord. Four, four observations, real encouraging observations. Okay? First one is this, that the Lord has already prepared and provided everything we need to serve him. Because what did he say to these two disciples? Sent them to do what? 
Okay, when you go there, you're going to find. And so when they went there, did they find the colt? And he says, if they say to you, what are you doing? Just tell them the Lord has need you and they'll let them go. And when they did that, what happened? They let him go. Well, I want you to know that when God gives us something to do, when he tells us, here's what I want you to do, he's already been at work preparing the things that need to be in place for us to do that. Now, that's encouraging, isn't it? Whatever your decision is, you're saying, oh, God, what am I supposed to do here? What's this decision? And you say, yeah, okay, all right, God, I can trust you, but what's going to happen? How, how is this going to work? How are you going to provide for me? How are you going to lead me? How are you going to take care of me? Whatever. I see here an encouraging truth that, look, God's already got that figured out for you. And what do you need to do? Just trust him and go with it. We can trust God to do what he says. Okay, so I really, really want to encourage you with that. Second observation is this, that Jesus really cares about those who need him, but don't know it. He tops the hill and he looks at Jerusalem and what's he do? He weeps. Is he weeping because of the architecture? Because of the bad roads? No, he's weeping because there are people there who don't understand what's going on. And if they don't, Come to believe, they're lost. When was the last time, if ever, that you found yourself weeping over people who don't know the Lord? I think it should happen. At least I, I, I can be a guy who can weep. I, I sit down, I can walk into a room where people are watching a movie and sit down and within 10 minutes start crying over something that's happening there. Well, why don't I look at the world around me and do the same? Jesus cares immensely about people who don't know him. Do we? If we were to look at our lives and evaluate how we're living, what are we doing, what are we, do we? And I believe as Christians we all do care about that. But sometimes we need to refocus, though. Maybe push a reset button and rethink this issue. He, he, Jesus really, really cares about them. The third observation is this, that Jesus is very serious about the holiness of what belongs to him. This was his temple, wasn't it? And he comes in and they've turned it into something it was never intended to be. And so he drives them out. It's got to go. This can't be here in my house. Well, if I'm understanding the Bible right, I am the temple of God as a believer. You are the temple of God as a believer. How much does it matter that we live holy lives? The Lord wants to drive out the things in our lives that don't belong. And we got to be open to that and let him do it. Cooperate with him in it. And, and then the same thing happens. Not only am I the temple of God, but you're the temple of God. And the Bible talks about us as the temple of God. And he cares about our holiness. And so, you know, we need folks to, to be on the alert to things that we let into our lives. Then when we look at it, we say, man, that is ungodly. And it's not something that has to be a part of my life. Why am I letting it in? And drive it out with the Lord's help. 
Move it out, okay? Fourth encouraging observation. When the Lord is working and people are humbly responding, the enemy can't stop it. I like this one. Because what was going on? Jesus is teaching in the temple day in and day out. The people are attentive. They want to hear what he has to say. They're hearing from the Lord. They're listening. They're pondering. They're considering. And they're, they are humbling themselves to put themselves under Jesus' teaching. And listen to that. And the enemy, what's the enemy want to do? They want to go grab Jesus and cart him off and stone him and get rid of him. And it says they what? They can't do it. And so, do we live in a sin-cursed world? Do we? Do we live in a culture that largely really doesn't buy into biblical Christianity? Okay. And it's so easy for us to start to think, oh, right? Can't do anything. But I want you to know, we already talked about God's preparation of things. If, if we will humble ourselves before God and say, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? And then we step out in faith and we begin doing that. The enemy can't stop it. You absolutely can do what God wants you to do. And when you humble yourself and do what God wants you to do, it starts to change everything. Very encouraging observations. Now I want to give you one really challenging thing from this scripture. Let's go back and look at it. Here, let's move ourselves back up to verse 38. So the crowd is saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Some things need to be said. Did you get that from here? The Lord needed to be praised here. It had to happen. Okay. Did the stones cry out? Did they? Come on, I know I ask trick questions, but I don't ask nearly as many as I used to. You guys got to get over this. Did the stones cry out? No, he said, if, you know, but someone needed to cry out. Who did? Who? The people needed to cry out. The people needed to do this. And so here's the challenging observation. When it comes to letting people know about Jesus, we are plan A and there is no plan B. Let that sink in. The people that you know that don't know Jesus, the people that you are around day in and day out regularly that don't know Jesus, the people who you may just run across once in a while or only once in your life who don't know Jesus, how will they ever know about Jesus? And I don't mean false beliefs about Jesus. How will they ever know the truth about Jesus in them? How? It's us. We're plan A and there is no plan B. That's the way the Lord set it up. Now, here's an interesting thought or an interesting truth. And that is that in the Muslim world right now, 
in the Muslim world, God is indeed and has been for a generation. Jesus has been showing up in people's dreams. Because see, they're in a country where they cannot hear. Jesus shows up in people's dreams and says, oh good, see, there is a plan B. No, because you know what Jesus tells them in the dream? He tells them who he is and he says, you need to go to that Christian. You need to go to that missionary. You need to go to that church and they will tell you about me. Isn't that something? God cares so much about those people that he's, he's doing this because they aren't going to hear it in their country. So he gives them dreams and they find their way out and they run into our mission over there and they, they'll get to talking. Oh, I had the Jesus dream. Did you have the Jesus dream? <laughs> and then they t- they, the missionary gets to share the gospel with them. But my point is, is that we are plan A. Even when Jesus is showing up miraculously to reach people, he's pointing them to us. And so the people that you know out here in your life who, for whatever reason in their life, maybe just all of a sudden something popped in their head and is stirring, they don't know why, or they've had something happen in their lives, something that has made them open to the Lord, that won't save them. They need the gospel. They need to know the gospel. They need to hear it from us. And I'm not talking about us becoming jerks. Can I say that in preaching? (laughs) I'm not talking about that. We're not talking about becoming rude. We're talking about being genuinely concerned like Jesus is about people to where we're ready. And this shapes what we do in the morning when we get up to go. And we're saying, okay, God, I'm not just rushing off to work and doing my errands and all that. No, Lord, I'm going out here. If there's somebody that I could talk to about you today, help me see it. Help me to know it and then give me a little kick to do it. Right? Jesus is, and we are plan A, and there is no plan B. So, one simple application. You found in your seat when you came in today a little card. It's the Easter invitation. Very simple, right? I want to encourage everyone of us just to, one, if more if you want. We have more cards in the foyer. I've already, God's put some things in my heart that I need to do, and I'm going to take some more cards. But at least that one card. Say, God, who would you like me to invite to come to church on Easter? And the reason we do that is because people are more likely to come with you on Easter, right? They're going to go to church. A lot of people are going to go to church somewhere. And you don't know whose heart's being stirred. Ask God, help me to know, and then invite. All you got to do is say, hey, I don't know if you if you got your own church, you know, you want a church you want on Easter, but I I'm I'm inviting you, you know, to come to church with me. I'd love to have you come with me this Easter. And they may say, What's wrong with you? Oh well, that's okay. God uses that too. You never know. They might say, ah, no, I got my own church. They might say, okay. And they they'll hear the gospel as they do, right? So the point is, let's, can we start doing this? Let's just become alert to the people around us who need to know Jesus. Okay. And we're going to stop there. We're going to jump forward, Eduardo. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper now. Remind ourselves of what he did for us. Okay. So let me just read to you. 
and, and the Last Supper happened this week and it becomes the Lord's Supper, which is a, a ritual that we do, a symbolic ritual. Paul described it like this. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So that's the Lord's Supper. And then he says this, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And remember we saw that the Lord cares about the holiness of those that belong to him. That's us. And so let's take a minute or so here of quietness before the Lord. And if there's things in your life that you know don't belong, confess it. Be open, honest with God about where you're at with it, what the struggle is, whatever. And say, I need you. And then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper together, okay? So let's take a little bit of time. So I'll bow our heads and quietly before the Lord. Just have a conversation with him.